Okay, if you want to find uh, the book of Exodus in your Bible, uh, if you were here last week, uh, Len was speaking from the Psalms. Um, Psalm 3, was it? Thank you, good. Um, uh, but we're back in Exodus. We've been working through Exodus through, uh, since kind of the springtime. And uh, we've actually got one more week to go, which we're not going to do the last sort of 25 chapters in one week. Um, but we're going to sort of stop halfway through the book. We're going to do something different in the build-up to, to Christmas, something different in the new year. And then we're going to come back to Exodus at some point in the future. I don't know when. So we'll see about that. But we're in, if you want to find, um, it will appear on the screen in a moment as well, but if you want to find um, uh, Exodus 12, and we're going to read the end of Exodus 12 and the start of Exodus 13, and then uh, hopefully it will appear in a moment. Here you go. And you can see it's in English and in Dutch. Isn't that great? This is... Normally I say as if by magic, this is double magic, because we've got two languages here. Which this isn't, just to make note, this isn't, that's not a direct translation of that. These are different Bible translations, if that makes sense. So if you're reading in Dutch and thinking, hold on a second, the words don't quite match, just don't do that. Just read one or the other, rather than try and translate as you go, because you'll get confused. And I'm just going to read the English, because otherwise we'll be here a long time. <laughs> okay, here we go. The, uh, the Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste. So where we were up to last time in Exodus, where we were looking at the start of Exodus, chapter 12 was um, the Passover, where the angel comes and strikes down the firstborn of the Egyptians. The Israelites are protected because they've sacrificed their Passover lamb and they've spread the blood on their doorframe. And this is... Uh, essentially the next morning, and the Egyptians are saying to the Israelites, get out, it's time to go, um, out of the land in haste, for they said, we shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing, and the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. Thus, they plundered the Egyptians. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Sukkoth, about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them, and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened, because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. That the time of the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it, 
But every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. No foreigner, foreigner or hired worker may eat of it. It shall be eaten in one house. You should not take any of the flesh outside the house. You shall not break any of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. If a stranger shall shajorn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. And the people of Israel did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. The Lord said to Moses, consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. Then Moses said to the people, remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Today, in the month of Abib, you are going out. And when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. And on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen with you. And no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory. You shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this statute at its appointed time from year to year. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers, and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb, and the firstborn of your animals, that a male shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among you, you, your sons you shall redeem. And when in time to come your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons are redeemed. It shall be as a mark on your hands or frontlets between your eyes, for by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. Let me pray. God, we thank you so much this morning that you've rescued us out of the house of slavery for those of us here who are believers in you, Jesus. This wonderful deliverance has taken place. You've rescued us from the house of slavery, from darkness, from the evil one. You've rescued us into your family, into your kingdom, the kingdom of light, where we can know you 
where we can know the living God, where we can come and sing songs of worship to you, where we can come and eat and drink with you, where we can enjoy, we can find deep joy in fellowship, in relationship with the living God. And we know that's ultimately what you've made us for, every single human being. You've made us to find our deepest joy in you, our satisfaction, our hopes, our dreams in you. And we want on this day to say that from our hearts. We want to say, we want to consecrate our hearts again afresh for you and say, Jesus, we're yours, every part of us. We belong to you and we want to worship you. Amen. 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 You see, our past, or at least our kind of remembrance, our remembering our past plays a pretty key, key part in our, rise, in our lives in a, in a positive sense. You'll see here, isn't that a great photo? That's uh, three of my daughters. So um, Annie at the front here, um, Lydia, Ellie, and my wife, Joe, who was pregnant with Millie at the time, so this is taken uh, six years ago, and uh, they're looking at a train, which is, is just about to go past, although Ellie seems to think she's just about to catch it, and she's rather startled, but it's one of my favorite photos, and it, it appeared on, on Facebook this week. I don't know if you're, you're on Facebook, you'll know that happens. You get those memories that kind of magically appear, and you go, oh, wow, I'd forgotten about that, um, until next year, and then, then it obviously appears again. And remembering our past is kind of a pretty key part of our, of our lives, forms a part of who we are. For all of us, our story of life, or where we've come from, of who we've been, shapes who we are now. Even in the Bible, it talks about remembering a lot. It's a theme that goes all the way through Scripture. In Isaiah, it says, remember the former things of old, for I am, I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. We're supposed to look back and remember. But obviously, memories aren't always kind of positive, happy memories. Sometimes memories can be painful. Sometimes memories can be negative. Even the way that Facebook makes your memories appear, they actually have quite a sophisticated algorithm to make sure that you only see good memories. They figured out a technical, data-driven way to make sure you only see the things that you like from people that you like. People that you don't like, the memories that are attached with those don't appear. They've figured out a way to kind of dull those down and to bring out the positive ones, which is kind of very clever and frightening all at the same time, that they have that much access to your life, even to how you think. But there are some memories that will appear in our lives that can be negative. Sometimes you can listen to a piece of music or you can go to a particular place or watch a particular film and suddenly a memory will flash back and you think, oh goodness, I'd forgotten about that. Those memories that can haunt you, those things that you suddenly wake up in the middle of the night and for some reason you're thinking about that thing. You can't cast it away, it's just there. Those memories can, can sometimes follow us and haunt us, can be uncomfortable to us, unsettling. Even sometimes it's not the memories of things that happened, but the memories of things that didn't happen. The memories of things that you wished 
happened in your life, but for whatever reason it didn't work out like that, or you made the other choice, you went in another direction, and there's this sense of regret in your heart. I wish I'd gone this way. I wish I'd taken that decision instead. I wish I'd gone to university over there. I wish I'd started that relationship, or I wish I'd never got involved in that one. For all of us, there are lots of memories in lots of different ways, both positive or, or negative. And the re reality is, is that what happens in the past, it matters. It matters. We could just kind of wipe it away and say, well, we'll just, we won't worry about those things, we'll just forget about them, we'll just ignore them. But if you were to go to a job interview, what they're gonna to wanna to know is about your past. They wanna know about your work experience, your qualifications. Most of your interview is gonna be determined what you've already done. They'll be looking back at your life up to that point, trying to make a decision. And they'll probably ask you some question about the future, you know, what do you wanna do in five years time? And you'll make up some ridiculous answer. But really, they don't really care about that. They wanna see your faithfulness in the past. Our past matters, we can't just ignore it. But sometimes we do prefer to kind of forget. We prefer to kind of rewrite our past. Maybe some of us have our own kind of algorithms that we've written in our own heart to erase certain memories, to get rid of certain moments, to ignore certain things that have happened. But the wonderful thing about being a Christian, about knowing Jesus, is that he doesn't just take your, it's not when you become a believer and then suddenly your memory is just erased and you start anew. All the bad things are just deleted and you don't remember them anymore. It's not that God just comes and suddenly reprograms you. What God does is he comes into your heart and he actually redeems all those things. He takes all the good and the bad and he makes it work for his glory. Let me read this as a great illustration in this book um, just let me just read you this. It says, a picture a couple carefully marshalling enough resources to put together a down payment on a house. They buy the house recognizing full well that it needs a fair bit of work. They can't stand the black and silver wallpaper in the bedroom. There are mounds of trash in the basement. The kitchen was designed for the convenience of the plumber and not the cook. The roof leaks. The insulation doesn't work. The electrical box is too small. The lighting in the bathroom's poor. But it's the young couple's first home and they're grateful. And the months slip past, then the years. The black and silver wallpaper has been replaced. The couple have remodeled the kitchen. The roof no longer leaks. Better yet, as the family grows, the couple completes a couple of extra rooms in the basement as a small wing to serve as a study. The grounds are neatly trimmed and boast a garden. 25 years after the purchase, the husband one day remarks to his wife, you know, I really like it here. This plate suits us. Everywhere we look, we see the results of our own labor. This house has been shaped to our needs and taste. I feel really comfortable. When Jesus Christ, by his spirit, takes up residence within us, he finds the moral equivalent of mounds of trash, black and silver wallpaper and a leaking roof. He sets about turning this residence into a place appropriate for him, a home in which he's comfortable. There'll be lots of cleaning to do, quite a few repairs, some much needed expansion, but his aim is clear. He wants to take up residence 
in our hearts as we exercise faith in him. Isn't that amazing? It's, it's, God just doesn't come and just say, ugh, ugh I'm just going to delete all of this. I'll just give you a new house. God comes within us and starts to rebuild, to restore, to redeem. He doesn't take all your past and just throw it away. He doesn't just make you just forget bits of it. He comes and restores all of it, redeems all of those moments. So remembering, remembering our past isn't necessarily a bad thing, but what's more important is remembering God and what he's done. And in this story, in Exodus, we find three memorials that they're commanded to do. First of all, they're supposed to take the Passover meal, which we looked at a bit more earlier in, in Exodus 12, where they sacrifice this lamb. Each family has a lamb that they sacrifice and they cook a meal with the carcass and they eat it together and they're remembering God's protection of them. It's an annual reminder that God saved them, that he's rescued them from slavery. They were told to eat bitter herbs so they could remember the bitterness of their slavery on one hand, but in eating the lamb, they recognized the sacrifice that had taken place to set them free. And then they also uh, they have the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which we read about in Exodus 12 and 13, which the, the Feast of, of the Bread, whereas the Passover meal was just 24 hours, they do this over seven days. And over a week, they, they're remembering, they're commemorating um, not just the sacrifice that took place, but God's actually delivered them, that he led them all the way out of Egypt, that he's led them into freedom, that he's come to set them free, that their old life has gone. And the, the unleavened bread symbolizes this new holiness that's come now, that they're the people of God, chosen and set apart for him. And then finally, we come across the consecration of the firstborn in Exodus 13, where they set aside and consecrate the firstborn in each family again, remembering God's uh, uh, killing of the Egyptian firstborn and his rescue of their own. They're remembering what God's done. And these three celebrations together, they're, it's basically a freedom festival. It's a massive party that they throw to remember what God's done. That he's come to set them free. He's come to, out of 430 years of slavery, he's rescued them. This whole people, hundreds of thousands of people that God's come to set them free, that Pharaoh is defeated, that all the gods of Egypt have been defeated, that their God has won the victory and freedom's come for them now. And they're told every year to remember again and again, not to forget, to keep coming back, keep going back to these celebrations, these memorials again and again of remembering what God has done. Now, why is it so important for them to remember? Why is it so important? Well, I guess the first answer is because God told them to, right? God tells you to do something, you do it. It says in Exodus 13, verse 3, Moses said to the people, remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. It says in Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. <laughs> That's what we're supposed to do, not forget. 
remember again and again all his benefits to our souls, what he's done for us. So why remember? Why should they remember? Why do we need to remember what God's done? First of all, remembering is it's kind of the key to knowledge. It's the key to knowledge. In our society, we're taught that information is the key. We're surrounded by information. You just pick up your phone or your computer and you're suddenly open to just hours and hours and hours, infinity almost of information. And we're taught that all society needs is more information. If, if we just give people enough information, then people will get better. People will stop making mistakes. People will stop starting wars against each other. People will stop doing evil things if we just give people more information. But yet, if you look around, we live in a time where there's been more information available than ever, but yet people still seem to be starting wars. There's still all sorts of evil in the world. The world doesn't appear to be a better place than before 50 years ago. It's not like suddenly the internet arrived and then suddenly everybody stopped being nasty because we had the information. Information doesn't necessarily make us better at all. What we really need, the real knowledge that we need is sometimes to remember. Samuel Johnson, who was a poet, he said we need more often to be reminded than informed. Remembering what's gone before is the thing that gives us real knowledge. Secondly, we're to remember because it helps us to lead from lament to worship. In Psalm 78, it tells the story or uh, some of the story of the people of God about how God has led them through uh, many generations and it talks about their, their kind of exodus journey and it says in verse 11 that they forgot his works and the wonders that he'd shown them. And that's true, that happened. You can read about that in the book of Numbers um, later on in Exodus, that the people of Israel, they forget. They forget. They stop doing these memorials. They stop celebrating Passover. They stop remembering. They forget. Even to the point where they say to Moses, we, we want to go back. We, we were better off in slavery. Can, can you send us back? And you think, did you not read the first 12 chapters of Exodus? Have you not seen the story? Do you not remember the oppression that you were under, the evil that took place? But they say, no, we want to go back because they stopped remembering. They forgot. But then it goes on to say in Psalm 78, they, this comes later, they remembered that God was their rock the Most High, God their Redeemer. And then the psalm goes on to tell this story of how they're led from this place of lamenting, which is a, a word the Bible uses to describe a real kind of pain in your heart. Not necessarily a bad thing, it can be really healthy sometimes to lament, to look upon your life and see the circumstances around you. But then where we're supposed to go is from lament to worship. And one of the ways we get there is by remembering. We come and we, we remember God's faithfulness. We remember what he's done for us. Ultimately, what he's done for our souls, the rescue that's taken place. And that leads us out from a place of sometimes where our soul can feel dark and wounded and in pain 
and God draws us out into this place of worship, which doesn't necessarily mean that suddenly our circumstances change and everything becomes happy and joyful, but even within painful circumstances, God leads us to a place where we find our joy in him. And part of the way we get there is by remembering. Next, remembering, it helps us interpret the present. We're called to interpret our present circumstances in light of God's faithfulness in the past. And actually what, what our, our world does, society around us, it does the opposite. You see it all the time. There's lots of news stories at the moment about how we're trying to reinterpret what's happened in the past. We're holding people from the past to a, a different standard and we're trying to change that story. We're trying to say, well, we don't like that bit that happened, so we'll forget that bit. But we do like this bit. And people are rewriting history all the time. And the temptation can be to do that with the Bible, to do that with God, to say, well, what, what the Bible says about this doesn't really fit with, with what the world around us seems to think, so we'll just ignore that bit. We'll just, God didn't really mean that. that. You know, that was just an error in the Bible. We'll just forget that bit. And we try and reinterpret what we believe we reinterpret what happened in the past in light of what we see today. Whereas actually, that's the wrong way around. We look at today and what's happening now, and we interpret it by what we see in the Bible. We let who God is speak into our situation. We, we look at his eternal character, his eternal nature, and we let that shape who we are in the world around us. We recall his strong hand, who he is, we don't forget, we remember who God is. Also, we remember for a balance of reverence and relevance. What I mean by that is, you might think I'm, I'm kind of advocating some sort of traditionalism or conservatism. I'm saying actually the world would be better off if, it was just, if we just lived 50 years ago. Or if we just, if, you know, people have been talking about the Reformation this week. If we just lived 500 years ago, that would be better. Let's just reverse the clock. Let's get rid of all these horrible modern things. Let's just, let's just start living kind of the olden life again. And that can sound a bit like what I'm, what I'm saying. The thing is, we're, we're called here to this city to love this city right now. <laughs> Every single one of us. Every single one of you, I don't believe any of you is just here by accident, oh, I just came to study, I came for a work. That's, that's the second reason. The first reason is you're here because God brought you here. And he brought you here for a purpose. So when people say to me what kind of church you are, I don't say we're not an expat church, we're not an international church, we're a church full of Amsterdamers, right? Yeah? We're not any of those things. We're, we're, first of all, we're God's children, his disciples. And because of our relationship with God, he sent us on mission to this city. That's what it means to be a Christian. It means you're sent by God to love the world around you. And we're sent here to love this city as it is right now, not what we want it to be or what it should be. You know, in the same way that Jesus loves us just as we are, God loves our city. We should love our city just as it is. But also in the same way that God doesn't, he doesn't leave us as we are. He loves us so much that he's not going to leave us as we are, that he moves into this house and he starts to renovate and change and grow and add extensions and build. This is what we're supposed to do in our city. 
We love it as it is, and then we seek to come and restore and redeem and bless and bring change and bring new life to the world around us. Also, why remember? To forget. <laughs> Sounds like I'm kind of ignoring everything I've just said. I, just mean, I don't mean to forget what's happened to us, to forget our stories, but sooner or later, we need to learn to forget ourselves, right? We need to learn to forget ourselves. There's a brilliant book by Tim Keller called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness, which all you really need to do is read that title and let that speak to your soul. The book itself is only like 40 pages. It's a brilliant book. But there's this freedom that comes in forgetting yourself. That's what these memorials, these celebrations that the Israelites were supposed to do year on year, that was the purpose of them. To remind them actually that they didn't rescue themselves. They didn't bring themselves out of Egypt. God did. That it's not about their story, it's about his story. Whereas the world around us tells us that what's important is our story, is what we've done of what we want to do, and we're supposed to shape our life and all our relationships around who we are, the Bible teaches the complete opposite. That actually what's important is God's story, that he's called us, his people, to be part of his story, to serve his greater mission, to be part of what he's doing on the earth. Because what, what sin does is it takes your life and it shrinks it takes your world and makes it really, really small. Makes it all about you. Have you noticed that? You just get lost in what you want, what you desire, or the mistakes you've made, or your regrets or frustrations, and you go so, get so caught up in fear and anxiety and shame and regret that really all that you're thinking about is you and your frustrations. Whereas what God does is he, where sin shrinks your world, God comes and blows all those boundaries away. God expands your world because he makes it not about you anymore, but about him, his purpose and his kingdom. It doesn't mean you're just like a faceless person in his army. He's made you uniquely to serve a unique purpose in his kingdom. But it's about that, not about your tiny little world. It's about his mighty kingdom that he's called you to be part of. And you'll find that really that's... That's the best way to go about life, is to just forget yourself and just remember who you are in God's image. Remember what he's called you to. Stop worrying about what people think about you. What, 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 because probably most people aren't thinking about you at all. <laughs> you know? Have you noticed that? All the time we worry about what people think about us, but the reality is then they're, they're just thinking about what you're thinking about them. We're all walking around worrying about what each other's thinking about ourselves and none of us are thinking about anyone else. Stop, we don't need to worry about that. We can just forget those things. Remembrance, remembering who God is helps us to forget, helps us to forget. Also, down the bottom there, to participate. See, these festivals that took place, you'll notice that they're all quite in depth, that they all involve kind of participation. The people of God, it's, a, it's not just that they sit down at the dinner table and they kind of bow their heads and pray a prayer. Thank you, God, for rescuing us out of Egypt. Amen. The Passover meal lasts a day. The Feast of the Unleavened Bread lasts a week. 
And there's a whole way that they're supposed to engage with it and interact with it. They're called to participate within it. You see, it went, often you'll see at the start of a, a football game, uh, someone famous will have died or a tragedy will have taken place. And the, there'll often be like a minute silence where everybody in the stadium falls silent and then they get on with the game and it's just a minute. That's not what this remembrance is. This is something that they get involved with, that they participate in. And the thing is that this Passover event and all these meals, they're pointing towards something greater. They point towards something greater. All through the Old Testament, you find it again and again that there's these themes, these types, these stories that are pointing towards something else. They're pointing towards Jesus. This whole Exodus story of how God led the people out of Egypt from slavery into freedom. It's all pointing to how Jesus has led each of us on our own Exodus story. How God's led us out of our own house of slavery into freedom in him. And God's given us our own kind of uh, things to participate in to help us remember. So we do it in the church. We, we baptize people. When you baptize someone, you plunge them down into the water and you raise them back up again. And they participate in that. And they're remembering and we're demonstrating that they've gone, that they've, uh, in Christ, they've gone down into death and been raised back up, into, up again into life. If you're a believer in Jesus and you haven't been baptized, then talk to us about that. We'd love to do that with you, to demonstrate to all of us. And we have a big celebration. We throw a party. We remember what God's done in their life and for all of us. Every week here when we take communion together, we're participating in this remembrance of what God's done for us. We break the bread, we drink the wine together, we're remembering his body broken for us, his blood poured out for us, and we participate in it. We, we eat the bread, we drink the wine. We just don't just watch on from afar, we get involved in it to remind our not just our, our heads, but our hearts, our souls, remind all of us we spiritually partake in something. We, we take, something takes place within us. See, because when we take, we'll do it in a moment, we'll share communion together, and it, it reminds us that what happened, what, what Jesus did for us, wasn't simply a moment in time that we look back on as a fond memory that appears in our Facebook feed. Oh, that was a nice memory. It's not just a distant moment in time, but we're, we're remembering a present reality now. We're engaging in what's true now. That what took place with the death and resurrection of Jesus is the most real thing you could experience today. It's the most powerful thing that you can know today. It speaks deeper into your soul than anything else. What Jesus has done for you is the thing that really changes you, that transforms you, that takes your past and redeems and restores all of that. You see, our, it's, our salvation isn't something that happens about us. It's something that happens to us. God comes and takes up residence within us. He comes to live within our hearts. We're saved into his body, his family. 
The Holy Spirit takes up residence within us, begins to tear down the walls and extend and expand and grow and redecorate within us. See, this past, this past, what Jesus has done, is far more real and important than your past. I'm not saying we should just forget what's happened to us, but the thing we're really supposed to remember is what Jesus has done for us. That's the thing that transforms you. It's what Jesus has done again and again. That's what changes you. And just saying that I'm just going to block out the pain, you know, I'll let time be a healer. Just, I'll, I'll just forget those bits of your story. That's not the answer. The answer is instead to remember God and who he is, what he's done, to come to him in worship to read his word, let it speak deeply into your soul. It's Jesus that transforms us.